August 1st, and it's an opportunity for us to further minister to families in our community. Uh, I recently went out with uh, several of the community leaders asking them what could be done as a church to help further bless this community, and uh, every one of them shared with me uh, child care is a huge need in this area. And so uh, we are stepping into that arena uh, this August, and so uh, we appreciate your prayers uh, for that. But also, here's something else very practical as well that you can do. Uh, we could rent a billboard on 36 uh, for about, uh, I think, $2,500, $3,000 and uh, have Crossroads Daycare information up on a billboard for many thousands of cars to pass by and hopefully uh, read that announcement. Or we could unleash hundreds of people here at Crossroads to share with their hundreds per person, sometimes maybe thousands, of friends on Facebook and other social media platforms about our daycare. So uh, we're going to choose option B, all right? And so that involves, yeah. So that involves you doing what I just asked. Let me ask you as your pastor, will you please help us to get the word out? And the way to do that is just to go to the Crossroads Facebook page and uh, you can find the information there about the daycare and then post about it yourself. Hey, I'm excited. Our church is starting a daycare. Check it out. August 1st, you know, coming to uh, West Indy or whatever you want to say uh, in regard to that to help your friends to all know because everybody knows somebody, Right. And uh, eventually, if it's not you personally, then you know someone or someone you know knows someone who could use excellent care for their kids while, or kid while they're at work or whatever. And so uh, we want to step into that arena, blessing our community in this way. And so we need your help to be able to provide that. And so help us this week. How many will do that? Okay, I don't think every hand's in the air. How many of y'all do that? All right, that looks a lot better. So don't forget, don't forget, go home, do it, or um, do it in the lobby after service today. That would even be better. And uh, just make sure you post it, get it out there, and then tell them they can contact the church directly for more information. Well, we're starting a new series today, and I've been looking forward to this series for weeks now, uh, getting studied up and ready uh, to share with you about heroes. And over the next five weeks, we are going to be looking at different individuals. Next week, you don't want to miss it, we will be looking at Deborah from the Old Testament, a very powerful young lady that was used mightily by God. Week two, we will be looking on Father's Day at Samson. All right, so bring dad, uh, bring all the men you know. Uh, ladies, this is an opportunity to bring a bunch of guys with you. 
to that service. I would love for you to just bring everyone you know uh, to be here on Father's Day. How many of you have recognized that our culture is obsessed with heroes, right? We are obsessed with heroes. Every summer, it seems, more and more movies, hero movies, are unleashed upon us, uh, talking about superpowers and different things, all these blockbuster hero movies. As a matter of fact, the recent Avengers movie uh, broke $1 billion in sales faster than any other movie prior. Isn't that incredible? A billion dollars. That's with a B, right? And, and, so, and still making money. And we look at these folks, we look at these heroes, and, and I think there's just something about saving the world that appeals to us. There's just something in that. But when we think about these heroes and we think about superpowers and things of that nature, what is a real hero? You know, maybe it's not superpowers. Maybe it's something more attainable. And what I've found in real life is that many people that we would call heroes are reluctant heroes. They're reluctant to even have that word used about them. Uh, recently, Jason Seaman, who was the school teacher up in Noblesville, when a student re-entered the classroom uh, with a handgun and began to use it, and this teacher, who has now gotten notoriety all over our nation, uh, decided to do something than just be a victim. And that is, he decided that he needed to do all he could do to stop this person. And he is uh, being acclaimed a hero, uh, and, and even though he doesn't see himself in that regard. You know, a hero sees what other people see, but they do what no one else does. And that's exactly what Jason did. He rose up and did, he just simply said, I, I just did what needed to be done. What, what I felt needed to happen, I love my students, I didn't want any of them to, to be killed or, or, or hurt or injured in any way. And so I just did what I felt needed to be done. And you know, God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Often it's the most unlikely people who become the most likely for God to use. In his story. You know, it's these people, these heroes, if you will, that give us the encouragement that God can use people just like you and me. And we're going to look at the book of Judges because I don't know if you've ever read 
the book of Judges, and we call it books of the Bible, but really they're ancient writings, ancient manuscripts have been put together. And, and the book of Judges is an ancient manuscript that shares with us the history of a nation called Israel. And, and the history that this refers to is the history that happens immediately following their conquering uh, the promised land. After the people move in, you know, after Charlton Heston, if you saw that movie, uh, leads them across the Red Sea, right, and, and over to the other side, and then they're fed through the desert for 40 years, and, and then Joshua takes over after Moses passes away and becomes the new leader, and they begin to conquer all these cities, Jericho and others, and, and they begin to settle into the land, and, and as this happens, this history uh, develops. Now, the problem is not that, that comes up is not Israel settling into Canaan. The problem is Canaan settling into Israel. See, let me, let me just talk for a moment to some people that maybe you get around some people that aren't such a good influence and things like that. And, and I believe that we ought to try to be an influence to others, and that's great. But, but it's, it's not okay when they're influencing you. Right? Let, let me help some parents out. See, see it's, it's not about you can't enjoy the lyrics of certain songs that you listen to but, but when the lyrics get into you, not when you get into the lyrics, when the lyrics get into you, that can be a problem, right? See, it's not the choice of that boyfriend that, that's a, the issue so much as the influence that can happen. You know, the, the influence of others into your life. See, it's not that you work among people who have no regard for God. That's great. You can be an influence there. The problem is when their influence happens to you. And see, that's what's going to happen to these people. That it's not a problem that they're in Canaan. The problem is Canaan gets in them. And as that begins to happen, uh, then there begins to be this, this awful cycle that we'll get to in just a moment that, that begins to take place because something called syncretism uh, happens. Syncretism is when you try to blend one religion with another. See, I, I look around and there's a lot of blenders today, all right? There's a lot of blenders. There's a lot of people who kind of blend a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of them and a little bit of TV theology and whatever else and just kind of mix it together and, and kind of come up with your own thing. And, and the problem is, is syncretism, you, you don't really stand for anything. You've got all this mixture of beliefs, and then you don't really have a foundation to stand upon. That's exactly what happens here, because after the death of Joshua, the Bible says that there came a generation that didn't really remember Joshua too much, 
And they also didn't remember too much about the God of Joshua. And so as a result, they needed a hero. Say that with me. They needed a hero. And I believe we need some heroes today. In a culture of syncretism, in a culture of where the culture has got in us, not, not that we're in the culture, but the culture has gotten in us, in, in a culture where we find ourselves without a foundation and a strong belief system in a God who is real, who is alive, who is in the world today, who is in our hearts and in our, in our soul and spirit by the power of his Holy Spirit, we need some heroes, right? We need some people who will stand up and be a hero in their school, in their home, in, in the culture that we live in. And so to set this up, we're going to look at Judges chapter 3 and verse 7, and it really gives us the context of what's going to happen during this whole series. The Israelites, it says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. Can you imagine? They forgot. Forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishah, Tham, okay, if you can say it better, go ahead. Uh, king of Aram, Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. Okay, here's, here's what happened. The, these people are losing sight of God, and, and they're kind of mixing in some other things. And one of the things they begin to mix in is worship of Baal. Whom God said, very first uh, rule was, have no other gods before me. And Moses said, will you all follow this? Oh, we will all follow this. And here they are, just a few generations later, and they're worshiping Baal, or Baal, as, as some would pronounce it. Now, Baal worship, as I grew up hearing it, Baal worship is the worship of a God that's not really a God at all. Uh, it is an idol. And, and so what they were doing is they were worshiping this idol who they claimed, and, and Baal means master or even husband is another translation. And, and here's the thing about this is God has been the very best husband to Israel that they could ever have. I mean, the Bible talks about how he'll be a husband to the widow and how he'll be a father to the fatherless. How many in your own life can attest to the fact that God is a faithful God? That maybe you've not always been faithful, but God has been faithful. Anybody share that testimony here today? And, and so here's, here's these people. They've seen seas open up. They've seen all these kinds of miracles have happened. And God's been faithful to get them there. He promised that he would. And he delivers. And now they've taken another father. They, they've taken another husband. They, they've taken another relationship. And then the Asherah or Asherah poles. 
that were erected and placed around that they would worship. And this was all about the sea goddess. Can you imagine? Worshiping the goddess of the sea. And here they are trading the God who has taken them through the sea. Come on, somebody. He has taken them through the sea. He has stopped the flow of a river so they could march across on dry ground over to the promised land. And now they're worshiping some sea goddess. It just seems ludicrous. It seems crazy that people would do this. But how crazy is it when people in our culture will worship things like some piece of paper you carry around in your wallet? Is that crazy? You're worshiping paper. That, that's, that's just crazy that we would do that. And yet how many people bow down at the wor- and worship things? And the things money can buy. And, and here's what God does. He, he leads them into eight years of bondage. See, God will allow your disobedience to be your discipline. Your unholiness can become your own undoing. What starts as pleasure can become your prison. See, I, I didn't intend for it to take over my life. That's what a lot of people say. Right? I, I, I was just going to be one pill. It was just going to be one high. It was just going to be one time. It was just going to be one. But then all of a sudden you find yourself in a prison. And this is a cycle that is repeated over and over and over Again, in the book of Judges, it goes from disobedience to defeat to despair to deliverance. And and after they get delivered, then they go back to disobedience, and then they go back to defeat, and then there's despair. Oh, what are we going to do? Let's cry out to God. And then there is deliverance once again. God, in his mercy, would time and time again send a champion, a hero, often an unlikely person to deliver his people. And how many of you know that if it weren't for the mercy of God, if it weren't for his incredible grace, if it weren't for God looking out for you when you weren't even looking out for God in your life, if it wasn't for his incredible hand of mercy, his grace in your life, you wouldn't even be here today. You wouldn't even be in this service this morning. And so the good news is, is that God picks ordinary people. I mean, these people, they have short-term memory problems. Anybody have that? Where God delivers, and then they go right back. Some of us, the, the worst thing, The worst thing God could do is answer every prayer that you pray. Some of you, the reason why you stay close to God 
is because he doesn't answer every prayer in the way you'd like. And you keep pursuing him and you keep chasing after him because you're determined to, to get closer to God. But if, if God did everything you asked, how many of us might slip back? But God, in his mercy, he picks these ordinary people. And it's not because of their abilities. It's your liabilities that God can use. Your weakness is how you are able to be used. It's the most unlikely people. And I'm, I'm confident today in this service and in the next service, there are scores of heroes in the building. There are people in the building that you don't see yourself as a hero. You're like Jason up in Noblesville who just went to school that day. We're just winding down the calendar. We're just, we're just getting ready to release the kids to a fun summer, and it's going to be great. And I, I get a break, and I'm going to go on vacation and whatever. He had no idea that that day his life would change as well as for the rest of that school and that he would receive national notoriety as a hero just doing what he said any person in his shoes should do. And I believe today there are people in this room that God wants to raise up and use. So here, here's what happens. The cycle continues. There's a death of a person, Othniel, who, who helps Israel to overcome the enemy. And then we're back in Judges chapter 3, verse 12. Pull that up for me. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Iglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms, which is Jericho. Here, these people had already conquered Jericho. See, some of you, you, you've already conquered something in your life, and you allow the enemy to bring it back into your life. Hello? See, when it gets real quiet, I know it might be on something there, right? Somebody's... Preach on, you know, get off that topic, you know. But, but I'm telling you, Jesus talked about how when the demons cast out, if you, don't, if you don't take care of the house, he'll bring seven more with him the next time. And the end result will be worse than the first. And so it's so important to stay on track with God. Let's get back to this. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israel, here's the cycle now, Right? Now we're in despair. They cried out to the Lord, and he once again gives them a deliverer, Ehud. Everybody say Ehud. Okay, our youth pastor, Kyle, thought maybe I was going to talk about a new rapper. <laughs> Ehud, all right? But I didn't work up a, a rap to do today, so you can just lift both hands and praise God for that right now, all right? So anyway, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. So here we have this man who is 
the, the most unlikely, perhaps, he's a Benjamite, which is like the smallest tribe of Israel. And Benjamin means this, son of the right hand. Son of the right hand. The one that's blessed. You know, that sits on the right hand. But Ehud is not right-handed. The Bible points out and makes particular note. It's interesting to me that, that the writer felt like it was important to tell us that he's left-handed. Now, we don't know why for sure. Maybe he's ambidextrous. You know, either hand works for him. Or maybe, more likely, he could possibly be handicapped in his right hand. And so he, he can't use that one. And so as a result, he's dependent upon his left hand. And some might say, well, you know, if he doesn't have two good hands, then maybe he's not good enough to be chosen. But see, that's not how it works in God's economy. God doesn't look at people the way you look at people. The people that you would pass over are exactly the kind of people that God will choose because he gets the glory for using their lives. And so God chooses the unexpected. You see it throughout Scripture how that God does this, how, how he selected those who maybe others would say are weak. Let's pick it up again in verse 15. Here's what he says. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh, so his opposite thigh, under his clothing. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Again, some detail for us, all right? After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way, on their way those who had carried it. So he sends them on. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal... He himself, okay, he comes to these images, and, uh, and, and he just can't take it anymore. He goes back, he, this is the moment, this is the time. He, he goes back to Eglon and said, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king wrote, oh, he's proud, you know, God wants to speak to me, right? He rises up. Ehud reached with his left hand, his good hand, and drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Now get ready for some detail. Even the handle sank in. After the blade and his bowels discharged, Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out onto the porch and he shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Here's how God uses and raises up heroes. You ready for this? Write this down. Left Handers are never left out 
of God's plan. How many left-handers are in the house today? Make some noise, all right? So God chooses the unexpected. See, God is an equal opportunity God. He uses people that feel inadequate. I'm sure Ehud could have said, God, you want to use me? Have you not seen my right hand? You know, again, we, we don't know for sure. Was it deformed? Did it not fully function? Uh, what was wrong? What, what, what would have been the thing? But what we do know is that the king felt like he's no threat to me. Ehud is no threat to me because he sent his secret service out of the room. He thought, this guy, you know, he's got a word from God. Okay, we'll clear the house. And he sends everybody out of the house. And Ehud might have been thinking prior to this, how can God use me? How am I going to be the one to bring deliverance? How am I going to be the one to inspire hope in all of Israel? I don't know what it is for you today, but my thought is there's probably some people in the house that are saying to God, have you seen my right hand? Have you seen my checkbook? How can I be used? Have you seen my giftings? I don't think I even have any. And they're certainly not great. And my intellect, I'm those, no, not the smartest guy in the room. How could I ever be used? I don't know what it is for you, but chances are good that there are many heroes to be in this room that are still making excuses for why God can't use you. And let me tell you something, God can use you. See, he doesn't have first class and coach. God uses men, women, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, young, old, black, white. It makes no difference to him. All of who you are is who God wants to use and what he will use if you'll put it in his hand. See, we've got somebody, we've got somebody who's used the Lord. I I talk to this guy about every Sunday. Back here in a back room, uh, there's a booth that you can't even see. There's a room you don't even maybe know is there. That that, that there's someone back there that, that Craig Anderson's back there every week, and he's running the words and all that are being used in here. So when you're singing the right words to the songs, You can thank Craig Anderson, who's putting those words up there for you. When you're following along with the notes, when you're lazy and don't bring your Bible to church, right? Ooh, that got nerved, didn't it? Uh, When you you don't bring your Bible, because you don't need one, right? We put it up there on the screen. You know who does that? Craig Anderson. And all he does is uses some computer abilities to be used of God, he's not up here singing, he's not leading the worship, he's not doing all that, he's not preaching, but he's helping me preach today, and I'd like for you to make enough noise in this room that he can hear it over there. See, God can use your computer skills. God can use your construction skills 
to, br- to build uh, beautiful things on the platform and, and, and things in the lobby, things throughout the building. God can use your left-handedness. You're not left out. And then God can use our weakness for stronger results. You see, I, I think the king did underestimate Ehud. I think he thought, and, and again, I, may, I don't know, I don't want to read too much into this, but he must have thought, this guy's no threat. You know, he's got a, maybe a deformed hand or something. And, and, and he thought, you know, who is this guy? He's no threat to me, and he sends all the secret service, he sends all of his soldiers out of the room, and it's one-on-one with Ehud. Big mistake, because he is just who God can use, someone who is humble enough to be used of God. See, people, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but but I remember years ago, just a few years back, when people used to underestimate Butler University, right? And, and people in the tournament a few years ago were like, who is this Butler? You know? That's, that's some little bitty school in Indianapolis. Well, everybody around here knew who it was, right? We all knew who it was. But when they start making some noise in the national tournament... And started getting some people saying, whoa, that's, they're, the under, they're not the underdog anymore, right? Everybody knows who Butler is now, today. But they didn't know it then. And the same thing is how God will use your weakness to show off his strength. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost to preach the first sermon to launch the new church, the new movement of Jesus into the world on that day when the, when Holy, the Holy Spirit was poured out. I don't know who you would have picked, but it probably would have been anybody but Peter. Give me a break. That guy, that guy denounced the Lord three times the other day. You know, uh, uh, let's pick Matthew. How about John? He thinks he's more loved than everybody else. <laughs> you know, why not one of these other guys, right? But, but who does God pick to launch the church of Jesus Christ and to see 3,000? I don't know about you, but I, as a preacher of the gospel, I'm telling you, I, I, live, I live, I long for the day of 3,000 people coming to Jesus on one day. God, give us that kind of day at Crossroads Church, right? I mean, that's amazing. And he is used of God in an incredible way. You remember when you were in grade school and you used to have release and they'd take you outside on nice days and you'd play Red Rover? Anybody remember that? You know, and you'd link arms with your fellow classmates and, and half of them be over there, and there'd be a line over there, and there'd be a line over here. I don't even know if you can play this anymore because it's probably too violent, you know, in, in school. Probably can't even play it anymore. But, but anyway, back in the day, all right, we, we didn't know about any better, all right? We just were out there giving it everything. And so we'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send. And we'd pick the scrawniest little person over on the other side. Yeah, pick them, you know. 
Ralph on over, you know. And here come little Ralph, you know, running and all. And, and you just hang on. And, of course, he's trying to pick the weak, weak link, right? Who's going to let go? And what you didn't want to do is pick the biggest person, strongest person to come over because they had the biggest chance of breaking the chain. And what you're trying to do is get everybody on your side. And see, Ehud maybe would have been the last pick. All right, Ehud. You know, or, or rather he'd been the first pick because maybe you think, well, he's only got one good arm, you know? I don't know that he'll do any good. But this weak-handed man perhaps becomes the strongest man in the economy of God because God can use you in an incredible way. I remember, I've told this before, I was so shy growing up when we got ready to sing in my home church. Our youth choir was going to sing on a Sunday in front of my home church, in front of a few hundred people. And so the choir director says to me, right before we're going to go out, Craig, I want you before this next this song that we're going to sing... Uh, we're going to sing these songs, and in between these two songs, when we get to there, you come down to the microphone on the floor in front of the choir, okay, and say, smile, God loves you. And I didn't know what to do. I, I, I wanted to say no. And then I thought, well, that ain't right. You know, that, that's embarrassing. And, and whatever. So I, I thought, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so we're singing the song that's the song I'm supposed to, after this ends, I got to go down there to that microphone and say, smile, God loves you. Huge part, you know, <laughs> the linchpin of the whole performance, you know, is right there. And I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, my knees are shaking. I'm thinking I'm going to pass out up here. This is going to be great. You know, I'm just going to drop over up here in this youth choir. And so we get to the end of that song, and they part, just like the Red Sea. You know, they just part, like, okay, Craig. And so I walk on down and say, smile, God loves you. <laughs> it's over. So to think that week after week after week in this church that God uses me to speak to hundreds of people live in this room and then others by way of podcast. You don't know what miracle it is that God chooses to use somebody like me. And if he can do that with me, he can do it with you. That's how he does in divorce care. He takes people from the depths of divorce and helps them to bring life to others that are going through it. In grief share, he takes people like Joyce Lowry, who just recently lost her own husband, to inspire others that, yes, you can make it. Yes, it hurts. But, yes, you can go on because through God there is hope. I love it, don't you? How God uses us. God intends, write this down. See, God intends to be the hero of the story. He intends to be the hero of the story. Ehud, his inability leaves little room 
of who the real hero is. He is just a set of hands and a voice to be used. In verse 28, he says, the Lord has given you the victory over your enemies. Notice he doesn't say, I did it. That I've done this great thing. He says, the Lord has done this. See, when God invites you into his story, it's not to show you off, it's to show him off. To show how great he is. He is the hero of every story. How many in this room, you know it is not to your glory. It is not to your praise. It is not to your honor that you sit in this church today. But it is to God be the glory for the great things he has done in your life. It is his hand upon you is why you're here this morning. See, there are life group leaders that know this. They're reluctant leaders. Many of our life group, oh, I couldn't lead a life group. Well, we need you to lead a life group. Your leader just moved, you know? And, and then they say, well, I don't know that I could do it. And they become one of the best life group leaders that anybody could ever have. I, I don't have time today to get into how Paul talked about that not too many Wise are chosen. Not too many super gifted people are chosen. Not too many of the super people with superhuman strength, not too many of those are chosen by God. And it's because, he says, our boasting is in the Lord. You see, we begin to boast in God. The people who are used of God the most are the people who recognize that it is God working in their life. I love this quote. Let me just wind this up with this quote of J. Hudson Taylor. When someone complimented him on founding the China Inland Mission, which was a huge missions agency going into China, doing incredible work, they complimented him, and he says this, he says, it seemed to me that God had looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, God said, he's weak enough, he'll do. And all God's giants, he said, have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. You see, it's his show. It's his world. It's his church. It's his power. It's his glory. It's his manifest presence that causes the victory. God's not dependent on who you are for victory. The victory is dependent upon who he is and his power working in your life. And today, I just feel like there's some people in this room that God wants to use, that God wants to use in supernatural ways. And it's probably the person right now who's thinking, that's not me. That's not me. And you're exactly who's God, who God's looking for. Because if you feel like I'm inadequate, I, I don't have the ability, I don't have what it takes, then you're exactly who God 
can get the most glory from when he uses you in an incredible way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you desire to use each and every one of us.